frustration around the body and its survival is coming back to your identity uh, in and as God, right? Like the only thing that will alleviate the friction of survival is either a complete change of circumstance, but most of the time that really doesn't even work because it's the belief that creates the friction inside of you, not the external thing. Um, but, you know, ultimately coming back to this concept and this, you know, which is really just the truth of all things that no matter what happens to my body or my life or, or anything of, of this individuality, uh, there's nothing that can affect the wholeness and the love that I am. Right. So even if this body is destroyed, I still am that fullness and nothing that happens to me or my body or my life ever should or does dictate anything about my worth or my fullness. You know, a lot of the times when we're in that survival mode and I've been there because I was homeless, right? Um, it's impossible to see outside of your situation. All you're seeing are your most immediate needs. And that's understandable. That's the normal response, right? How do I look? I need to look for what I need to procure in order to ensure my survival. And a lot of the times getting into that situation of homelessness is not just because we lost a job. It, it roots in a deeper, deeper belief um, that is centered around worth and um, adequacy and everything of that nature. And if I can understand that in the middle of my adversity, if I can understand and see how my own beliefs about myself are showing up and what I am witnessing, because I can't really witness anything outside of the lens of the beliefs that I carry, then I'm able to see the bigger picture. And I'm able to detach a little bit from the friction of needing to survive, because I understand that this is more of a cycle and pattern that can be overcome rather than some end all be all circumstance that happened to me that I have no way to escape out of, right? So we have to come back to that identity in God. There's no way to really exist in resistance calmly without experiencing our identity as God. There's not, because as long as you are not identified as that fullness, as that completeness, you will, as Jesus said, be tossed across the waves to and fro, never to find your foundation, right? We have to, and that, that really is for me, you know, that's everything. Like, I don't consider myself a smart person. I consider myself to be God and anything that I need in any given moment will be given to me, right? Which is where a lot of my own ideas around the law of attraction have changed because I'm not here trying to just get all the big houses and all the money and all the this and all of that. I, those are all great. And I love them. I love big houses. I love money. I love all of that stuff, but it's not my primary focus. My primary focus is service. And I know that, you know, this with all the companies uh, that I have, right there, there is never an opportunity for me to rely on my ego or, or my own credibility and succeed. I, I don't like, I can't for me, that's physically impossible. And so getting to this place, it's a process because I was homeless multiple times. And I remember the first time I slept homeless with nothing and I was more calm 
and more joyful than I had ever been in my entire life. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in Omaha, Nebraska. I had gotten kicked out of a church out there for uh, <laughs> doing my thing. And I had ended up homeless and I didn't really know what I was doing. And so it was, I would say it was mid-February, March uh, in Omaha. You know, it gets really cold. Um, and I remember I was in shorts and a t-shirt and I had nowhere to sleep. It was like 11 o'clock at night. So I was walking around downtown and I found this church that had just a really long grass yard and I just laid down and, you know, I was a Christian at the time. And so I started singing worship songs and I really, I, cause I really knew at that point, like the only thing that was going to make me feel better was feeling love. Like the, it didn't matter what happened. I just needed to feel love. And I was willing to take that step to ignore the fact that I was literally sleeping with nothing and try and focus on this greater awareness or this greater presence at the time that I called God. And I started, you know, singing some worship songs and really, you know, I think that you don't ever have to do that. It's more that that's more of a, a representation of shifting your awareness to a higher, you know, a higher kind of perspective. Um, and, and man, you know, some of the experiences I had were crazy, you know, three angels descended down around me. They were standing at the tips of my hands and, and, uh, at the head of my head, the top of my head. And, um, I warmed up like I had never warmed up before. Uh, shortly thereafter, I saw a crap ton of UFOs and I then fell asleep for a couple hours and, and woke up and, you know, and, and that's kind of the end of that story. But you know, facing homelessness, facing survival, facing adversity, facing things that rattle us to our core, the first step in becoming less triggerable or, or less reactive or less rattleable, rattleable <laughs> is putting my safety and security in nothing but the truth of my identity, not in my bank account, not in my business partner, not in my relationship, but in the fact that I am God, because that is the only thing that is the only thing that will never change is the wholeness that I am that will never change. And I can never do more to become more whole. And I can never not do enough to be less whole. And so this whole process is really about coming to understand that everything that you want, you already are. And the only reason that you are not what you want to be is because you don't know that you're not God. And if you did know that you were God, you wouldn't feel lacking. Because when I know that I am the totality of everything existing as a human for a short while, it becomes really easy for me to step into the bigger picture and not be so moved by any sense of adversity. Because I think that's the thing about adversity. As long as there is a human and there is an earth, there will never be a lack of adversity. And people that try to avoid it are, are running from themselves. We are never not going to experience what we might call adversity. And that's not the point, right? The point of this journey is not to eliminate adversity. It's to recognize who we are in the face of that. And that process is one that I think is never done overnight in a course, but it's something that's done 
time and time and time again, made as a daily choice over and over and over and over and over again. You know, a lot of people come into the whole concept of manifesting because they want to get a car, they want to get a house, or they want to get a this, or they want to get a that. And, you know, there's so many superficial reasons and, and purposes inside of the manifesting community. And I noticed that so many of the people that come with superficial purposes ultimately end up staying as stuck as they were when they came in. Because in all of your pursuit of the things that you want, you forget to realize that you are the very thing that you want. And that's never going to change because the very thing that you want, whatever it is, is also what you are because the entire universe is the same consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. And so the only time you are separate from who you want to be or what you want is when you are convinced you are in your mind. And when we take this concept and apply it in the middle of our adversity, we come to quite a few interesting conclusions. And one of those is that we tend to entertain negative thoughts just because we want to entertain them. It's not because we're forced to. A lot of our own troubles and problems in our situations, and this might not make a lot of people happy who love blaming the world for their problems. It doesn't come from our problems. It comes from our interpretation of our problems. Because if we knew that we were God in the midst of our own problems, what would we have to fear, right? Psalm 118.6, the Lord is with me. I won't be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me, right? What can circumstances do to me? What can anything that is transient or temporal in nature truly do to the core of my being? Absolutely nothing. But nobody is going to get us to this place of confidence except for ourselves. There is no coach and no guru who can ever take you here. This is the journey that each of us must go on our own. And I know how tempting it is to want a, a, a miracle worker to come take your hand and, and tell you everything you needed to, to know. Like, you know, like how many days I just wish St. Germain would show up in my apartment and be like, hey, bud, it's time for you to learn, you know, but that's not the way it works. That's never the way it works. <laughs> because we're literally everything that we are already looking for. And that, like, that's the riddle. Can you just stop the search? Can you drop the conditions that you've placed on yourself that prevent you from believing that you are what you want to be? Because the principle of action will never change. Just like Napoleon Hill's mentor said, we can only do to the extent that we can be, and we can only be to the extent that we are. And what we are is determined by our self-concepts. So that's never going to change. So the question here is not, when will my circumstances change? The question is, when will I change my own idea about myself in relation to my circumstances? That's the question we have to come to grips with. And the answers we have to come to grips with are found in being mindful of the scenarios we're running through our minds as we are encountering that adversity. Because if you can watch what's going on in your own mind as you're encountering adversity, you can see very clearly the type of belief that you have about yourself. The mental scenarios we run through our days are picture perfect reflections of our own self-concepts. And so 
I wouldn't say that over the years I've become stronger or smarter or more intelligent or less triggerable. Over the years, I have let go of who I am not and more and more embraced who I already am. And in the midst of adversity, in the midst of breaking these cycles, again, whatever objective you have, you need to get out of your small-mindedness, out of your stuckness. And you're going to have stuckness as long as you're identifying with the body and its capabilities and its potentials. As long as all you have to work with is the possible maximum potential of your body and mind that you think you have, according to some bullshit study that came out of some bullshit school that's funded by a bunch of bullshit people, you're never going to have a true gauge on what you're truly capable of. And that's great because it's nobody else's job. And quite frankly, when people help us, it actually cripples us. When people give us answers, we rely on them for answers, which is where the whole guru culture has been completely turned around. There's nothing wrong with gurus. And I am accepting for the fact that for a lot of people, I am a guru, but I make it my intention to let people know that I'm never going to give you anything that you have not already given yourself. Because the truth is, and the truth always will be, that you are the fullness of God experiencing itself as a human. And every single limiting belief that you carry continues and perpetuates because it is not interrupted and disrupted and conquered by the knowledge of the truth of who you are. The, the game is mental. The game is internal. I've seen so much more progress externally focusing on my internal game than I ever did desperate to change my external circumstances. Because the truth is miracles come when self-concepts self are dramatically shifted. All miracles are, or things that come together when they shouldn't come together, is somebody shifting their self-concept to such a degree that they're no longer identifying with the adversity that they believed was holding them back. Yeah, absolutely. I think numbers are great. I think when I started my journey, I had a lot of 1111s. And I still have a lot of numbers and I still see numbers. And the interesting thing about numbers is that I don't necessarily assign them any objective meaning. What I try and do is observe what happens in my life, what goes on in my life when I see certain recurring number patterns. And I try my hardest to not make a belief or a conclusion. And then whatever data I find remaining, I usually come to the conclusion of. I think that when we really choose to take responsibility over our circumstances and our lives, so much clarity comes from that point. You know, like as long as I was willing to blame my homelessness on, oh, well, I'm being persecuted for Jesus's sake or, you know, some other belief that was other than my own choices. Well, that's the thing. I made myself a slave to that circumstance because there was always something, according to me, out of my power that was dictating why that was happening. 
And so I think the first step here is really taking a sense of responsibility for my life. But at the same time, I think that your sense of responsibility and understanding what that means becomes so much clearer when you begin to experience yourself as the fullness of the universe, which is why we develop the I am experience, right? Like that whole process is meant to take you through an experiential transition from perceiving yourself to be an individual to knowing yourself as God, knowing yourself as the fullness of all that is. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways after you begin to really take responsibility that you can become aware. I think there's really a lot of simple things that you can do. And, you know, one of those uh, from Ramana Maharshi, uh, you know, to whom do this, does this thought arise? You know, when I begin to ask myself who my thoughts belong to, I begin to, by the, on the very basis of asking that question, I begin to present a dichotomy between my thoughts and what is aware of my thoughts immediately, right? When I ask myself, who does this thought belong to? I immediately create this sense of almost, I wouldn't call it dislocation, but detachment in myself because I'm immediately confronting what it is that is aware of what's going on inside of me. And I know for me, a big part of transitioning out of habitual responses to situations that perpetuated negative outcomes and conditions was literally no longer taking ownership of really unhealthy self-concepts. And a lot of that came through self-inquiry, asking myself questions. When a thought of anxiety came to mind, asking myself, who does this thought belong to? Does it belong to Michael? Well, who's Michael? Michael is who I perceive myself to be. Well, who is it that is aware of Michael? What is it that is aware of Michael? Is this thought that? Right. All of a sudden, I began really diving into this process of separating my personality or my seeming personality from my true self. Because the truth is, the ego in and of itself is not even real. It's not real. That's the whole thing here. Like the ego itself is not real. And there is only God existing as everything. And our resistance, it is founded in believing something contradictory to that. It is founded in being convinced of our own separation from all that is, including what it is that we want. So I really believe that, you know, in the middle of your adversity, um, you know, if, if you're really trying to make a way out and not just a way out to get out temporarily, but really trying to make a way out to end a cycle or end a pattern. The first couple keys here are willingness to take total responsibility for what you're feeling, for what you're thinking, and for what you're doing. This is the most, I think, important piece of making change is becoming aware, A, of the fact that this pattern has been unfolding on a repeat for you, and B, that you don't want it to continue. I think that alone is such a momentum shifter when it comes to actually changing circumstances. And some people may be listening to this and say, well, you know, I believe I want to change, but I'm not doing anything different. And this is where we really begin to get into the next level of what change implies. And that really means a change of internal workings and change a change of internal convictions, a change of internal landscapes. And 
that is something that is like a garden pruned every single day. But the first step to doing better things is to thinking better about myself because I can never do more than I think I can do. And there are anomalies where I can, but they are few far between and very, very non-lasting. So the question is, how do I allow myself? Can I allow myself? Will I allow myself? When will I allow myself to let go of my crappy thoughts about myself? That's it. That's the first step. Because when you eliminate those crappy thoughts, you make room for better ones. But we can't create or put new wine in old wineskins, right? We just can't. It's impossible. So I must step into a new skin. I must step into a new set of beliefs about myself. And the I am experience is a great way to do that. <laughs> it's exactly why we designed that because we understand, I understand how difficult shifting your beliefs about yourself can be. But as we mentioned and talked about earlier on, understanding that you are already whole, already adequate, already full, already amazing, already wonderful, already powerful, already capable. Understanding that these are absolutes about you, things that are already existent and not things that you can earn and not things that you can do enough spiritual right deeds for. You deserve and are worth everything that you could ever want because you are everything that you could ever want.